Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. We love movies with Gordon Hayden. This film blew me away. So that's against the rules, and you can't sit with us. Did we just become best friends? Yep. Hasta la vista, baby. And the winner is... We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden. Spin. Hello and welcome to We Love Movies. And this is very much a different We Love Movies this week because, believe it or not, it is our last show on Spin after 17 years, we love movies. The curtain has come down on the show. This is a nostalgic look back at the show, the genesis of it, how it started, some of the funny interviews and scenarios that we've experienced while making We Love Movies. And we're going to have a bit of a throwback with some of the uh, previous presenters and contributors to We Love Movies will also feature along with... The cast that we currently have, our great cast of Chris Wasser, Andy McCarroll and Olivia Fahey will be all here sharing their memories of We Love Movies. So if you have recently started listening to the show, sorry to say, but this is the last show. But if you have been with us for a period of time, thank you so much for always listening in. You're very welcome to the last We Love Movies. We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden on Spin. And this is the last We Love Movies on Spin. A big thank you to everyone here at the station for all the opportunities that have come our way. We can't thank you enough. And it's been an incredible run here on the show. We've been on air for 17 years, which has been absolutely amazing. So thanks again to everyone who has had a part to play in We Love Movies. One man in particular now is Jonathan McRae. I started We Love Movies back in 2005 with Jonathan. We got a grant from the BAI. We're only supposed to be on air for eight shows, but thankfully it all went well and the show kept going. I recently caught up with Jonathan for a nostalgic look back at We Love Movies and some of the interesting times we experienced when we first started the show. Johnny, thank you so much for doing this. I really, really appreciate it and our trip down memory lane. It is still mad to think that We Love Movies made it to 17 years because we were never expecting to be on air for that long, really. We were only ever supposed to do eight shows, if you can remember back then. They say it couldn't have been done. Do you remember um, Liam, who was the head of the station at the time, said, you can't do a radio show about movies. It's it's movies. You need to see the movies. And uh, there wasn't a radio show about movies on the air at the time. And uh, and we said, no, no, we can. And we went off and we we, we got funding from, from BAI. And then... Um, and then we, we started making up interviews. Absolutely. <laughs> Do you remember? This is the thing, because we had no contacts in the film industry. And at the time, we would get these like press kits in. And I remember it was from one of, I think it was Batman Begins. That's right. And so we thought, okay, we need to have some star power early on. So we're going to just use some clever editing to give the impression that we interviewed Christian Bale. And I remember you saying to me, no, Gordon, it's, it's really important that if anyone talks to you, that you tell them that we did interview Christian Bale as opposed to recording our voices and just putting it on the uh, the track uh, to make it sound like we were talking to Christian Bale. Do you know what? It's so ridiculous, though, because when you think about that, you know, what happens on those EPKs, it's such a generic and perfectly produced sound because they do it in a production studio and we were like in a you know in those I mean it, we were in a radio booth but it's not nowhere near the level of quality, audio quality that they would have recorded in and we would <laughs> we would record our questions and then he would just give a, a generic like wouldn't acknowledge the tone of voice or the question and so we'd have to find a pick a question and make it sound really generic like tell me about the movie and then he would 
say what the movie is it was just I mean it was a ridiculous idea but it got us through those first two episodes until we actually started meeting real celebrities well his thing was at the time because we were fledgling and we really felt we needed to prove ourselves because like that we were this unknown entity this movie show on radio that a lot of people said wouldn't work and we thought well we want to try and stand out from the crowd when we do the film junkets and we hit on an idea that we would take it in turns to go over to London primarily where they all used to happen and we would try and do something quirky and I thought the best of all of that was when the opportunity came up to interview Jamie Foxx and Colin Farrell from Miami Vice and it was your turn to go over and you said we, we need to come up with something for this Gordon like what, what can be the quirky thing and all I could think of at the time was that Colin Farrell had an abracadabra a gold card and so the idea was that you would go over with abracadabra wrappers and find a kebab house um, close by the Dorchester Hotel at the time near Hyde Park, which uh, which used to be the place to go. It's a difficult thing to do. Yes, in that part of town, in the sort of the Mayfair district, and you managed to find a place that sold kebabs. And also, bear in mind to keep it reasonably warm before the interview. You did manage to actually convince Colin Farrell that you had somehow managed to get an abracadabra kebab over and keep it warm. So I think he was shocked by that. And poor yeah. old Jamie Foxx didn't know what was going on. Yeah, I managed to keep it warm by nestling it in between my thighs uh, as I waited for the interview. Um, and uh, when I went in, I uh, I said to Colin, I know you're a big Abacababa fan. We actually had this flown over for you. And he went absolutely crazy. He was so excited about the idea of getting an Abacababa kebab. And he started to unwrap it. And I was like, if he opens it, like how much does he know about it? Like, would he be able to tell an Abacababa just by sight or like, and he said to Jamie Foxx, man, you got to have this. And he said, and Jamie Foxx, thank God saved me because he said, I'm not putting that shit in my body. And then he said, don't open that in here. And Colin's like, come on, man, you got to taste it. And it was like, it was like Colin was selling drugs or something. And Jamie Foxx, it was like being the good cop. It was just, and they were, the, the, the movie they were promoting was Miami Vice. It almost fit. They had this the kind of double act. But um, yeah, that was good. Although that wasn't my favorite uh, of all of them. Although that worked really well. My favorite was when we had Bruce Willis uh, for a junket. And I came in with a box of um, washing powder and I just put it on the table and I was about to start the interview and he said, all right, all right, what is it? Go on. And I was like, what? I was, I, I, well, I was just going to, he's like, no, just get this bit over with. What is it? And he was like, really, you could tell that he, he didn't want to do the bit, but he knew he had to do the bit. And it was a kind of a resignation in his voice. <laughs> and I said, well, I said, I said, this is actually a gift from my mom, you know, uh, because she watches you in all the diehard films and I'm a big fan. And she says, you, you always have dirty clothes on and this is Daz. It gets the whitest of whites. And he's like, all right, okay, all right, great, okay. <laughs> Takes the box, he puts it away and he's like, all right, let's do the interview. It was just such a, uh, I'm too old for this shit. I know it's the wrong franchise. There's another story I love of yours, Johnny, which was because back in the early days when the junket setup wasn't so micromanaged, you would be allowed in the room nearly on your own with the talent and the PR person would maybe knock on the door maybe a minute before the interview would come to an end and just sort of give you a, just let you know you've got a minute left, but you would normally be left on your own and sometimes you would be brought into the room and left there to wait for the said 
actor, whoever, to come into the room. Just remind me, you were in the room when Dustin Hoffman, you caught him, was he robbing toiletries or something? So with Dustin Hoffman, um, a huge, like such a, a huge actor and such a cool guy, um, I walked in and he was sort of seated, but he, he was kind of um, restless. And as soon as the interview started, he said, do you mind if I just, and I, I was like, well, you're Dustin Hoffman. So whatever the end of that sentence is, the answer is, of course, yes, unless it's touch you. Um, and he, uh, he, he just, he, he opened this huge duffel bag. And as I interviewed him, he would start to just fill the duffel bag with items from the Dorchester suite. The duvet cover, the pillow covers, um, the uh, anything on the bedside table, uh, all of the you know the towels. And I said, um, I said, Dustin, this doesn't seem to make a huge amount of sense because he must be very, very rich by now. And he told me the story of when himself and Gene Hackman were in a New York apartment when they were just starting out as actors and used to live together. And he said we had this one cot bed we would share. I'd sleep on top, he'd sleep uh, below. And we would live there and and beg for auditions and hopefully get these tiny bit parts that would just about pay the rent. We were broke all the time. And this this place was so small that uh, I used to sit on the toilet reading and literally the other side of a, a shower curtain would Gene ha- be Gene Hackman frying up breakfast for some girl he bedded. So, you know, it was a really, really small room. And, and that's how poor we were. And so I never take my next gig for granted and I take advantage of every opportunity I have in front of me. And so I'm taking these towels. And, and so that's what it was. He, he literally stripped the room bare and stuck it into his duffel bag. He said, it's Paramount Pictures or it's Sony Pictures or it's Universal. They're going to pay for it. And and I'm sure they did. Thank you so much for coming back for our last hurrah and doing this because I really wanted to finish off We Love Movies with a real look back at how it started. And actually, I'll tell you, I'll leave you on this. One of the people that was pivotal, believe it or not, in We Love Movies getting commissioned, getting the grant from the BAI, was none other than RTE's Claire Byrne. At the time, I was working full time in TV3. I was a sound engineer and I was at the, I was getting water from the water cooler and Claire came up beside me and she goes, Gordon, I just want to congratulate you on We Love Movies. And I said, oh, thank you, Claire. I appreciate it. And she goes, listen, I couldn't tell you this, but I was on the panel that signed off on your grant. And she goes, I obviously, I couldn't tell you in advance, but she goes, I just wanted to let you know that I was one of the people that said, yeah, this show needs to to go to air. So I was like, oh, listen, that meant an awful lot. So there you go. So Claire Byrne played a part in the birth of We Love Movies. Jonathan McRae. Takes a village to raise a child. (laughs) It's so it does. Johnny, love you loads. Thank you so much for coming back for our final, final show. It means an awful lot. We'll always love movies, Gordon. We will, Johnny. We absolutely will. Take care, fella. We love movies with Gordon Hayden on Spin. Hello there, Gordon. This is Rory Cashin, the entertainment editor for Joe.ie, just answering some of your questions. What film will always hold a special place in my heart? Well, over the years, um, I've been very forthcoming about the fact that Aliens, not Alien, not Alien 2, Aliens is my favorite film of all time. Um, and nothing has gone on to change my mind since then. Uh, I still think it is the most intense and exciting movie ever made. I remember seeing it finally in a cinema because it was made when I was quite young or yeah, quite young. So I wouldn't have seen this uh, when I came out in the cinema the first time. 
but seeing it in the cinema with a packed audience uh, just revitalized for me why it is so special. Sigourney Weaver is iconic in it. James Cameron is really finding his feet in terms of sense of scale and size and scope and putting action scenes together. Uh, kind of like Predator, it is the ultimate mix of action and horror. And then there's everything that happens in the fourth act. When you think the movie's over and you're like, yeah, we're safe, everyone's everyone's safe. Turns out no one is safe. Uh, you're not safe watching the film because you thought it was over and it's not. I love, 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 love Aliens. Get away from her, you bitch! What film we're seeing always makes me cry. I try to avoid movies that I know will make me cry specifically for that reason. Um, I'll watch them once or maybe twice and then maybe avoid them after that because if I know something is actively going to bum me out, I won't rewatch it basically. Uh, but I do remember the most inconsolable I've been in the cinema was during About Time. The Donald Gleason, Rachel McAdams, Bill Nye one. Anything to do with reconnecting or losing a parent is I'm triggered, I'm done. Like if I were to wear mascara, I have to keep the waterproof stuff on because otherwise ruined, face is ruined. If you want to have a cry in the cinema, go right ahead. There is no shame. That's what the film wants you to do. They want you to cry. I'd only give one piece of advice to anyone marrying. We're all quite similar in the end. We all get old and tell the same tales too many times, but try and marry someone kind and this is a kind man with a good heart i'm not particularly proud of many things in my life but i am very proud to be the father of my son i joined the wheel of movies team a number of years ago uh, and aside from the obvious greatness that is gordon the the thing that stood out for me was that it was a very safe space to discuss movies it felt like everyone there everyone we spoke to about the movies it reminded me of just like being in a very safe space with, with other people who loved film as much as i did and just getting to kind of rant and rave and like spill your guts and open your heart and open your mind and share opinions and just be, it was very funny and it was very it was very intelligent and everyone i worked with there as part of the show was equally passionate about it as i was it was just a great place to to talk and worship at the altar of cinema so it was such a fun time for me um and it really kind of kicked like lit a fire under me in terms of oh this is something that i can do for my like with my life is be a lover of movie but professionally so yeah so that is that's kind of my primary memory from working on we love movies that's one of the things i absolutely love about we love movies that over the years there have been contributors like rory cashin and my old co-host johnny mccray and really great friendships were formed so much so that you always pick up where you left off even if I wouldn't see them for a couple of years you're right back where you began and the same is also for our next guest Brian Lloyd absolutely love Brian to pieces uh, Brian is the entertainment editor at entertainment.ie he's also the film critic on Ireland AM I also took a trip down memory lane with Brian to find out some of his memories about working on the show 
Brian Lloyd, thank you so much for coming back for our last show of We Love Movies here on Spin. Thank you so much. How are you doing? Not bad. Um, I tell you, I we were just talking off air there. I said I had two stories for you about We Love Movies. Can I crack into the first one? Oh, go for it, Brian. I'm ready. My very, very first interview that I ever did was for We Love Movies. And really? yeah, and I'll tell you what it was for. It was William Friedkin and it was for that film Killer Joe. And I remember that I didn't have any equipment whatsoever. So I had to borrow, I had to borrow this big, huge sound desk off a a friend of mine uh, who was a musician and uh, producer, actually. And uh, it was me and him lugging this big, huge sound desk into the middle of the Clarence Hotel. And like William Friedkin comes out and he goes, hi, wow, you've got a big setup here, don't you? (laughs) And trying to like, and like, oh yeah, no, it was unbelievable. Like we were only supposed to have, I think like seven minutes. He ended up talking. I think, I think the file I ended up sending you was about like 25, 30 minutes. And he talked about the French connection. He talked about opera because he was directing opera at the time. He paused the middle of the interview to jump up out of his seat and scream in the face of, I think it was Sarah Murphy, um, who was a publicist, still is a publicist, to like scream in her face, your voice is carrying, I can hear it. And then like slammed the door in her face and then like, again, cursed like mad and sat down again. And then just launched straight into a whole thing about how um, Fernando Ray, who was uh, Frog One in French Connection, how he uh, did the little wave and that he told him to do the little wave because the real Popeye Doyle saw that happen and he wanted to put in the film. So that's my, that was my first, uh, my first big story about We Love Movies. That the very first interview I did was for William Friedkin. I'd love to hear it. Do you actually still have that interview? But I must probably. see, do I still have it? Do you know what? Here's the gas thing. It's probably on a mini disc or something like that now. Oh, now you're going back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it probably was on a mini disc actually. Yeah, probably was. Because that was like, that was like 10 years ago. That was easily 10 years ago. I wouldn't be surprised. Like, and what a baptism of fire when you think about it, Brian. Like, this this yeah. wasn't just any second-rate director. You're going up against nope. one of the greats and someone who had a reputation for being quite volatile on set. And yes. like, yeah. can you remember? Like, the, uh, there's a, uh, an element, a huge amount of pressure. Like, you're lugging all this equipment uh, that, to be honest with you, you probably think I don't need this hassle here. But what? Was no. the, what, what were you feeling with the pressure of interviewing someone like Freakin? Terrified, absolutely terrified. And I, I, as I recall, you told me a story that um, he like, he was in, oh yeah, he's crazy. Like he fired off a gun on the set of Exorcist to get the scared reaction out of Ellen Burstyn. Good luck with that. <laughs> Just send me in there. <laughs> and that was in the back of my head. It was like, oh God, I bet he's crazy. And he was crazy to be fair. Like, um, but what, what was I thinking going in? I was terrified. I was so terrified. <laughs> it was, and like, it's, I, I, I really do credit, I mean, fair play to you because I hadn't interviewed anybody up until this point. I hadn't done any interviews, not for, I was, I think I was writing for Film Ireland at that stage. And I think I hadn't even done an interview for them or any of this. So this was the very, very first interview I ever did. And I was like, so overprepared. I had like three, like full fool's cap pages full of questions. Didn't get to one of them, by the way. Didn't get to <laughs> one of them. And, um, and yeah, I mean, and I don't, I mean, I, I don't know how it turned out. I think it turned out okay. But um, yeah, no, because I do remember I had to edit it down. I remember thinking, yes, oh, <laughs> you is... definitely had to edit it down. And I was like, going, I remember thinking, oh my God, 
Brian, I'm so sorry. I'm going to have to edit this down to like about 10 minutes uh, or something. I think in the yeah. end, it got to like about 12 minutes uh, with him. But he was yeah. highly engaging and not the type of monster that I was expecting. But Brian, you'd also said no, you had no. another a, a particular anecdote about the show. What's the other one? The other one was, and this is what you were saying, like, what, what are your memories of Wheel of Movies? My other, my other memory that I have of Wheel of Movies is uh, me and you and Rory Cashin standing outside um, the studio. I think it was Studio 3, which was the tiny little box studio back in the Malt House, was it? I think That's it was. Was right, that the name Grand of the Canal Key, yes. In Grand, in Grand Canal Key, yeah. And then the three of us basically coming up with an entire plot and story for uh, the new Escape from New York film. That uh, it was like, right, so what we're going to do is we're going to get Jared Butler as Snake Plissken and then we're going to get Gareth Evans because like, you know, he did the raid. He's got that real kind of, you know, gritty kind of sensibility. And then we're like, well, who are we going to get to write it? And then we're like, let's get Andrew Kevin Walker. You know, like he does that kind of genre stuff. He'd be really good at it. And then I think you said, no, 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 no. Let's get Gareth Evans to write it. Like, you know, like the raid is such a good tight script. You should get him to write it. We basically just, the three of us had just become this producing like Jerry Bruckheimer, Don Simpson, production team in the space of like 15 minutes had just completely come up with the entire story, come up with the entire cast and crew and produce and the writer. And we're like, so when like, I mean, you have to release this like, you know, middle of the year, you know, that kind of way, like you get a good opening weekend on this and the DVD sales. And again, this will tell you how long it was. The DVD sales in this, like this could go run and run and run, like, you know, <laughs> I just like, that was it. Like, and for like, That's I'm great. like, it was like 20 minutes long. Like the, the segment was that we were doing prior to that was, I think we were just doing like movie news or something like that. It was just like, oh, you know, like a lot of remakes. What are we thinking about remakes? And it was very kind of standard kind of piece. But then we went outside and just had this like 20 minute epic kind of like breakdown. It's like we should have done, we should have gone inside and done that. But, you know, that was, that's often what, what the way the show was. But I think that's so true because we would spend what was really only supposed to be a show that, when you break it down, you take the ads out of it. It's normally clocks in at maybe 45 minutes, maybe just a little mm. bit over. But it was the amount of chatting that went on before it, after it, and sometimes even during it, where we'd go off in tangents and then I'd, I'd, then I'd have to kind of whittle it down into into 45 minutes. And, and I suppose, again, showing uh, the time, this was really before the podcast side of things that really, yeah. really took off. So if you were putting any audio, it would just go up onto the website. And unless you were going on to the Spin website, you mightn't hear maybe an extended cut or or that. So podcasts yeah. weren't weren't what they are now. Uh, but God, yeah, there were some fantastic mm, yeah. moments back then. And you really did when it was yourself, me and Rory, when it came to record the show, you really had to block aside a bit of time because this wasn't just you were, you oh, were, yeah. you were in and out. I used to love those recording sessions. Oh, no, no. Yeah, and that was it. Like, that was the thing was that I think back on it now and, uh, you know, those like like those 20-minute conversations or whatever, or 40-minute conversations, like, that's a good podcast. You know, that kind of way. It was, I, I remember, like, there was one or two. I remember, I do remember once or twice you did put up an extended version of the show on the Spin website and stuff like that. And, like, I think now, like, that's, that's a podcast. Like that was like a podcast before it was a podcast, you know? So, so, so true. Brian, I I really appreciate the time uh, you've given us today to uh, just to share memories about We Love Movies, but just to put you on the spot, on the spot and go like, 
Is there one film for you that, because it's, it's so hard when people do ask you, like, what is your favourite film? Mm-hmm. Like a film that you love. But like, is there, what would be your favourite film? Is there a favourite scene? Is there something that no matter how many times you watch it, it still resonates with you just as much as it did the first time? I don't see. This is it. I was. Try- I knew you were going to ask me this, and I never have a good answer. And I always think that's the sign of somebody who loves films is that they can never answer that question. You know, I mean, I could tell you something like Heat, for example, because like Heat was the always when everyone said, "What's your favorite film?" I just say Heat, um, or then I could say something like, "Oh, I don't know, The Princess Bride, or The Shining, or The Thing, or something like that." Um, but I mean, in terms of like, I suppose a scene that I kind of go back to again and again, or a scene that always kind of sticks out in my head, and this is going to be so cheesy, and it really is cheesy. But it, it you know, like I'm married now, and you know, um, the the scene that sticks out with me is the end of Cinema Paradiso, and I'll tell you why. I will tell you why because um, my wife and I, when we were in school together. And we we didn't you know we we dated you know we met after school basically when we were like finishing college and stuff like that, but the film that both of us wanted to do for our leave insert um for honors English you had a choice between my left foot and cinema paradiso and we and both of us had said cinema paradiso and it was the only two of us in the entire class that said cinema paradiso, but the ending of cinema paradiso, I think sticks with me a lot because. I think the end of the cinema Paradiso is very, yes, that film is ridiculously sentimental, probably overtly sentimental in part. But I think that's, I think, you know, so much of our daily lives are kind of cynical and a little bit flat and a little bit whatever. And I think that moment of your man seeing the, the you know, when he gets the little film can, and he puts it in and he's not even really sure what he's looking at, but he's just kind of seeing it. And then he recognizes that the memories all come flooding back. But then, you know, the whole thing of Cinema Paradiso is, is that the, the projectionist tells him, you know, don't give in to nostalgia. Don't give in, you know, forget about us. Just move on with your life. But I think every now and then it is good to embrace memory and embrace nostalgia, like what we're doing now, you know, that kind of way. Like, yes, we all have to move on, but eventually you know, we all have to move on eventually, but I think it is important to look back and to see either how far you've come or just to remember a version of yourself or to remember a good time in your life, you know what I mean? Or remember something that meant a lot to you. And I again, as, as cheesy as all this sounds, We Love Movies did mean a lot to me. It has meant a lot to me. And, you know, the show that you did, I mean, I don't think you realise it, but like, I mean, it... When I I remember coming into the studio, I was like, right, this is what I want to do. This I I know I know it now. I'm certain of it. Like I've had other jobs, and I've never felt as fulfilled being on your show, talking into a microphone about films and getting people to enjoy films as much as I enjoy them. And I think a cinema parodies, and I think a wheel of movies in the same boat. Oh wow, Brian! God, that that is such high praise. And listen. Brian, it was always such a pleasure having you on the show and it's great to see where your career has gone since we first started recording. Like, you know, you are probably one of the most in-demand film critics that is currently working today. Movies editor at entertainment.ie. You've featured on all the main uh, broadcasters in the country. Like, you really are the go-to guy and it has been an absolute pleasure at just having had a small part in your career. Brian Lloyd, thank you so much for uh, coming back for our last show. It wouldn't have been the same without you. Thanks, man. 
of Movies with Gordon Hayden on Spin. I'm joined now by Chris Wasser, Andy McCarroll and Olivia Fahey, if you've uh, just joined us. Now, you could be listening to this on the podcast, but if you're listening to the radio version of We Love Movies and you missed the top of the show, just to let you know, from next week, there will be no more We Love Movies. This is it. This is the last We Love Movies on Spin. And it has been such a pleasure to bring you the show week in, week out for the last, believe it or not, 17 years. The first movie that we reviewed was Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. Back in May 2005, and we've been going strong ever since then. We're only ever supposed to have eight shows because we got a grant from the BAI, the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland. And that was the plan. Eight shows. There you go. That's it. But thankfully, after those eight shows, we must have done something right. So they decided to keep us on on spin. And here we are 17 years later. And there's a there's a change to the schedule um, that's happening at Spin at Weekend. So that's why We Love Movies is coming to an end. But anyway, let us move on and uh, let us chat to Chris, Andy and Olivia all about uh, their time on We Love Movies and some of their favourite films because it is We Love Movies. I want to hear some of their favourite films. Guys, first and foremost, listen, uh, this show would not be the same without you. It really wouldn't. And this, I can honestly say, has never felt like work. Uh, each and every week when we all assemble to record We Love Movies, it has been nothing but an absolute pleasure. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for all your contributions. Each one of you are so knowledgeable and passionate about films that really all I have to do is just steer the ship. You guys just make it. So Chris, Andy and Olivia, thank you so much for the time that you give each and every week to We Love Movies. It does feel weird that it is coming to an end. How are you guys feeling? I'm feeling really emotional now after that. Uh, pretty emotional after that speech, Gordon. <laughs> Sorry to get, get it off on that, that particular. Uh, that's a, well, <laughs> start on a downer, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm suddenly just like going, oh no, where are the tissues? <laughs> well, I'll start with Andy because Andy was the first out of the traps on Wheel of Movies. And Andy, it was really through Twitter where we first became acquainted because you were, I remember Andy was writing at the time. What, what was the website that you were writing for at the time, Andy? And uh, uh, Following the nerd. Following Still going the strong. Nerd. There we go. And that's where your articles, you started publishing your articles there and uh, you, you brought them to my attention. Andy made sure they came to my attention. And then we, uh, we started recording. Can you remember our first recording session? I do. It was, I wrote an article about trailers for great trailers for terrible movies. And I remember we had the, the conversation on Twitter and I went into the, the spin head office and I had printed off for what you told me was a five minute segment, eight, a four pages full of notes on this. You know, if it goes here, if it goes here, I can say this, I can say that. And I'd say about 90 seconds into the conversation, you completely changed the subject and start talking about something else. And I was having an absolute panic attack. It we started off about trailers, then it went into this, then we talked about posters and you brought up the Escape from New York poster and you're like, oh, that had the Statue of Liberty, which wasn't even in the film. Actually, speaking of this, they're thinking of remaking. Who do you think would be a good snake list? And I'm like, I didn't prepare for any of this. Well, I Tom Hardy, I, Jared Butler, I don't, I don't know. I don't know whether you were just tormenting me just because you saw how nervous I was. Or I was like, oh, I'll see, I'll just throw things out and see how he gets on. But yeah, that, the, the weird things from that day, like the the person who brought me in to see you was, you know, Darren Garrity, who went on to have her, her own career. And I just remember the nerves going in. I think you could nearly hear my heartbeat on that first record. And I was so nervous. And I'm trying to flick through papers going, I, I don't have anything on this here. Help, help. <laughs> 
Well, I think that's one of the wonderful things I would say about spin is that they, it did give so many opportunities throughout the years for so many different uh, personalities and broadcasters and contributors to come on and to uh, really be able to develop their style and then go off and do different things and and so I will always be eternally grateful for the for the opportunities that, that came with Spin. And I have to say, behind the scenes, there's been always this lovely family environment there too. So sorry, Andy, I, I promise you, I didn't try to terrorise you. But one of the things that has become very accustomed <laughs> to the way I do things is that there's kind of a rough idea of where the show may go. But then we go off on these tangents and you sort of never know how it will kind of finish up that's always been uh, been the way and then Chris you were the next one in and I remember hearing Chris on another radio station I remember going God he's very good and uh, there's a uh, Reg Luby who <laughs> is a, a producer friend of mine and I said so he's very good Reg I said how did you come across him and uh, Reg told me and then passed me on your phone number rang Chris and thankfully Chris said yes so how long have you been doing We Love Movies now for Chris? Uh, thankfully, I said yes, and I think that might have been uh, the, the one of the worst days of Andy's professional life as a critic. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I think uh, I think this was about five years ago, and uh, yeah, I, I I've been racking my brains trying to think of the first film that we reviewed, but unfortunately, I couldn't quite recall. And I was thinking instead about you know what have been the most uh, you know what have been the funniest uh, 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 reviews that we've done as a team, what have been the most memorable. And potentially the most memorable moment on We Love Movies, or one of them anyway, was actually something that happened off air. So this is a behind the scenes thing where I went in one day, Gordon, to discuss the uh, top 25 films, 25 of the decade. And I had a list. And again, it was just that rough kind of approach where, you know, we're we're not sticking to any script here. We're just going to have a look at these lists. And you had your own films as well, which you thought were the best of the decade. And we'll discuss, compare, argue, whatever it is. And I remember there being some good films in there. You know, Dunkirk was in there, Shape of Water, Her, even Paddington 2. And I recorded my segment for that week separate to Andy. And I left that list on the desk where we were recording. And I heard afterwards that Andy came in, looked at that list and had a conniption and just did not agree with several of the films on that. And that was before we actually started reviewing films together. I think we used to record the reviews and then the news segment uh, separately. So, So I will say, that one of the best things I found on, on this show over the last few years was the, the the current band coming together. And just, I think just something clicked when, when myself and Olivia and Andy, you know, I'm bigging ourselves up here, but I think we deserve it. You know, when the four of us uh, sat down to do that first segment, I think there was something special there. You know, we instantly, we, you know, we kickstarted what had become like weekly traditions of giving out about certain actors and certain personalities. We kind of, you know, knew very quickly, uh, you know, what kind of takes the other person off or what sort of, you know, genres the other person is, is mad about. And then, you know, when it comes to myself and Andy, how to, you know, uh, annoy the other one by giving out about films in those genres. I think we just worked very well. I think ever since, you know, the four of us have, uh, have, have worked on this, the instruments have been tuned up. Uh, the, the, the baths have been, you know, uh, uh, huge and, 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 and enjoyable. And, and it's just, it's just been an absolute pleasure working with the three of you. Ah, thanks, Chris. It really has. And like, again, to hear Andy hit octaves that I've never heard before, uh, especially for the fall <laughs> review, um, I think is an absolute, <laughs> I have to dig that out and play that out before we finish this show. Thanks. <laughs> Couldn't go without hearing that, that, that six. But Olivia, you were the last recruit uh, that came in and... Uh, like, again, it, it's not that long, Olivia, when you think about it, really. What are we talking? Maybe a year or two, if, if that? 
I think nearly two. So my first recording was um, Promising Young Woman. Um, the when Chris had actually gone on vacay. So I was stepping into, you know, big shoes to fill, but you needed someone who can antagonize Andy. And, you know, <laughs> I was the first person that came to mind. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, um, that was my first recording. So that would have been April 2021, I think it was. So it was just after the Oscars. Wow, was it God? It's, see, this is the thing. I still can't believe, and that's why my my whole timeline is, is, is so mixed up and muddled because it really doesn't feel as if I've been presenting this show for seventeen years. It, that to me just seems bananas. It only feels like it's been about six or seven years. So that's why when I'm like, oh, "What two years, Olivia? My God, where did those two years go?" I just want to ask you all about because the show is obviously we love movies and about the films that have meant an awful lot to you over the years. It's probably very hard, Olivia, just to try and narrow down like one specific movie. But is there a film or a scene that still really strikes a chord with you now? In terms of iconic scenes, I would have to say the one that always gets me is the entrance of Captain Jack Sparrow into Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. Like, is there any more iconic a moment for an entry of a character that basically just sums up everything that they're all about. Like he looks so cool, like standing on the mast. And then he looks down and he's like, oh, his boat is actually sinking. And by the time he makes it ashore, he's just like, I'm still cool. I'm still cool. Sticks the leg out and walks straight onto the jetty. It is just perfection. Andy, over to you. Movie, scene, what really it still sticks with you? For me, it's, it's Ghostbusters. It's just, it's the first one I remember being absolutely obsessed with. And this was like back in the day when you literally had to wait years for the VHS to come out. I had a, a birthday cake that had Happy Birthday Egon in it. I had the toys, the fire station, the ectoplasm, all of which I kept in pristine condition for 20 years. And then my brother got in the attic one day and destroyed the whole thing in about 20 seconds. Like I used to knock into my neighbors with the proton pack and ask like, you know, any ghosts in the house that need busting because, you know, I was that stupid kid. And just on that as well, just one of, one of the, moments, having the, the moments in the show, one of my absolute favorite moments obviously because the show i got to interview people like alan rickman mel gibson peter capaldi and all that but the the one thing that always sticks in my head is um talking about my my granddad who i absolutely idolize he used to read the daily express every day and the daily express is one of the worst put together newspapers you'll ever see in your life nothing seemed to be in the same section every day so what he used to do if there was any film reviews or any movie news he used to fold down the uh the page on the paper so i'd come down i'd be able to see all, all the movie stuff and I remember you sent me off to interview Benedict Cumberbatch for uh, Infinity War and it got picked up by the Daily Express. And I just had that moment where, sorry, I get a bit emotional here. Just, oh, it, it felt like I, he was back again. Like I just had that, I could see that horrible orange lino kitchen and just picturing him reading that and seeing my name and it just... You know, I just want to say thank you for, for having that moment. Uh, that's because of you, Gordon, because of this show. Ah, uh, no. I, and do you know what? Isn't it lovely as well that stuff like that can actually happen? Uh, and and do you know what? It, it, in a way, that's a, a, a kind of a lovely thing to, to come full circle. And I'm sure, Andy, he was there with you because that is a very... That is just a beyond a coincidence there, to be perfectly honest with you. Of all the publications and outlets, I think there was something, if you believe in a higher power at work, I think definitely there was something there uh, on that day. Uh, thanks for sharing that, Andy. I, and Chris, for you... Um, I started off with Ghostbusters and ended up with Ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. All right, Chris, a film for you that really, um, you know... 
tugs at your heartstrings or just maybe makes you look back at your at your own past? Yeah, there are several of them. Uh, but I just want to say very quickly that Andy and I could have actually been very close friends as kids because I had the, you know, Ghostbusters, everything. I even had Ghostbusters bed sheets. So uh, I think we missed out on potentially a good friendship there, Andy. Um, and, you know, it's not too late, but it probably is. <laughs> anyway, um, but uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off is a film that just had a massive impact on me when I watched it as a kid. I was probably far too young to watch it. The same way, with, the same with all of the other John Hughes films. I was probably a little bit too young for them, uh, but still just kept going back to them over and over. And I know it sounds cliche and almost made it up, but I used to watch Ferris Bueller's Day Off on video on sick days from school when I was genuinely sick. And, you know, I always kind of used to watch it, just kind of studying every decision that he makes and thinking to myself that if I, if I could, you know, Mitch off school for the day like would I do things the way Ferris did and I used to kind of even you know even when I was just and I make myself sound like this young annoying precocious child but I probably was I, I still got this sense that this is just this complete fantasy that Ferris and Cameron and everyone the three of them are just creating what they think you know, adult life should be like. They're not yet adults, but this is what it should be like when they're away from school and when they're free. And this is what the best day ever should look like. This is what it should taste like. And let's go and pretend to be rock stars for the day. Um, and, but there is this incredibly sad sense throughout it. Um, not that, you know, Cameron, is, although I should say Cameron, the, 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 the way Cameron worries about everything and his anxieties in this thing made me feel a lot better as a kid because I used to worry about everything. And I remember thinking to myself the first time I saw it, well, at least I'm not that bad. Um, so he did make me, Alan Rooks, character did make me you know he made me feel better about the way i was feeling but there is this sense that when they finish that day their friendship will never be the same again and that mm. that's it and they might not even see each other when they go to college and i remember thinking is that what it's going to be like and i know this sounds mad but when i finished on my last day of school i remember thinking about that film and thinking yeah john you's got this right this does suck and you don't know what's next. And this is terrifying. And you always wanted to grow up so fast. When you were 10 or 11, you just wanted to be 16 or 17. You wanted to grow up. You wanted to be out of school. You wanted to have your freedom. But when you get it, you're like, no, I don't want it back. I don't know. I want I want my school days back. I want my friends back. So it does. I think John Hughes just hit upon something special. He did so in all of the, all of the coming of ages that, that he put out. But with Ferris Bueller's Day Off, I think he struck gold there. Perfect cast, lovely story. And I would watch it every day forever. I just, I love that film. One of my favorite scenes of all time, I will just uh, talk very quickly about another film, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. When Roy Neary sees the UFO for the first time, when this, you know, every man electrician is called out to investigate, you know, the peril going out all over town. And he's sitting there in his truck at that train crossing and the UFO comes down for the first time. I don't know whether it was because I was used to seeing alien films at that time uh, where, you know, once the aliens show up, that's it. It's bad news. You know, they're going to fire laser beams and we're all going to be, you know, everyone's going to die. Instead, in that film, there's a sense of wonder and because they disappear and they don't really do anything, but they leave such a huge impact on Roy and that's such a huge impact on me. I remember going back to that scene over and over again and trying to see more and seeing if I could see the spaceship and trying to figure out if, if, if there's more from that scene than what were initially showed. That just blew my mind that scene i know we get to find out later on in the film what's going what exactly is going on but just those few minutes just completely blew my mind so close encounters and ferris bueller both had uh, a huge impact on me uh, as a kid for very different reasons chris the way you've summed up ferris bueller it kind of almost i don't know olivia and andy feel it, it it's almost kind of uh reflects wheel of movies coming to an end yeah, it's this idea that, you know, all good things must come to an end. And, you know, I feel as though over the past hour, we've just been, you know, enjoying this as much as we can, because we know, you know, once once you, you know, sign off at the end, we won't be doing this again. And, 
yeah i mean like it's it's been it's been an amazing run but i do i do feel like what are we gonna do every week now instead of recording the show so you know i didn't i didn't purposely set out to pick ferris Bueller's day off as a sort of you know all good things must come to an end but i suppose if it's uh if it's accordingly i need to set up a way we can all abuse me once a week now through whatsapp or something instead i feel like you're gonna miss that little <laughs> therapy that you had every week when you're sitting down to your dinner you're just gonna get like a beep and you're gonna Look, be like, oh, i like to think as well now? that you know i, I know I, I was talking about Fer- uh, cameron and and uh, and ferris and the fact that they might have grown apart but i like to think that years down the line you know they they, they got back together and the friendship continued and i think i can safely say that the friendship you know we love movies in this current format is you know is no more but the friendship will will, will, will continue uh, strong oh well said chris absolutely yeah and look that this is this is it that this is the the last goodbye i'm gonna do like a, a dot 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 for now i, I think i'll just leave that i leave that kind of hanging there like like all movies these days, they, they end on a cliffhanger. They kind of tease you that little bit. So, but who knows? But as things stand on spin, uh, We Love Movies is bowing out. Olivia, Andy, Chris, thank you so much. There's going to be a sequel 20 years from now where we'll get a, a young, sexier cast to take over. <laughs> <laughs> well, before then you say goodbye, at least we can now sort of get the chance to say thank you, Gordon, for everything. Because at the end of the day, like this has been your baby for so, so long. And like, you've just been so amazing and thank you for letting us be a, a small part of that. Ah, oh, thanks, Olivia. No, look, the, the show wouldn't be the same without you guys. And I like I know this is a real like, oh, like if there's all the virtual hugs going on here. But like, it, it really wouldn't be the same without you guys. It's been great camaraderie. It has been such a joy each and every week just to absolutely chat about movies with with friends that are all on the same wavelength in terms of the level of passion and um, there is for films. Uh, listen, we will bow out. It has been such a pleasure. Chris, Andy, Olivia, love you guys to pieces. Thank you so much. And to all the listeners who have tuned in um, over the years, have listened in regularly. Thank you so, so much. Really, really appreciate it. After 17 years, it is time to say goodbye to We Love Movies and to he- everyone here at Spin. Thank you so much for all the opportunities that have come our way from all of us here. Thank you so much. And you never know, we may chat to you again soon.